Every week we want to turn our eyes upon Jesus. So we want to look full in his wonderful face. We want all those things of earth to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And the way we look into Jesus' face, we look into his word. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 19, we're ramping up a, a sermon series on this Palm Sunday called The Journey to the Cross. We've used uh, the Gospel of Luke uh, to be our pathway. Uh, we're going to look, look at Luke's Gospel today with this triumphal entry. Palm Sunday. I don't know where you are with the tradition in your church growing up, if that was celebrated or not, but Palm Sunday is the starting point of Holy Week. Uh, it's the beginning of the most sacred week that we have as Christians, as we remember what Christ has done for us this week. I mean, it's so important this week that the Gospel of John is going to talk about everything he's done in all of eternity from chapter 1 to 12, and then for the rest of the Gospel, it's going to talk about this one week. I mean, this week, this Holy Week, is so important for us as Christians uh, as we see what Christ has done for us. And Palm Sunday, well, it's really, it's the beginning of the end. It's the end of Jesus' earthly mission and what he came to accomplish. Palm Sunday is the beginning or the, really the culmination of all of God's promises. The God that we serve, the God that we know is a God of promises. And he makes God-sized promises throughout his word. And all these promises he makes in the Old Testament of a Savior who will come, of a prophet who will come, of a king who will come, of a priest who will come to make all things new. And all those things culminate in Jesus. It's incredible. Scripture will say that all the promises of God find their yes, their accomplishment in what Christ has done. So here you have this week. It's the start of Holy Week. It's the start of the end. But really, it's the start of the culmination of all the promises of God are going to come to fruition. It's incredible what is going to happen. Uh, yet at the same time, we know it's the beginning of the end. I love being a minister. I mean, I love the fact that this is what God has created me to do. And one of the great joys being a pastor is I get to officiate weddings. And I got to tell you, I love officiating weddings. Uh, it's, a, it's a joy of mine. You've probably heard me talk about that. But as the pastor, think about it. I have the best seat in town. I mean, I really do. Well, I'm not sitting. I'm standing. But I'm the only one in the entire congregation who has everything in front of them, right? I mean, I got all, it's all right there. The bride, the groom, you see everything. I mean, it is the place to be, is to be the officiant. And what I love, I love the reality of watching the bride come down the aisle. Uh, you've probably heard me say that, as I've talked about weddings, I've never seen a bride come down the aisle where I haven't teared up. I mean, because it's something amazingly beautiful of what's happening. It's something beautifully symbolic of the bride representing uh, who we are in Christ Jesus and that beauty. It's amazing. And here you are. You're looking, the doors open, and here's the bride, and everybody can't wait to see, and the aisle's already been prepared by some cute flower girls, and there's petals all over the place to kind of prepare her to come. And then the congregation, you wait for the nod, and usually it's the, uh, the bride's mom stands first, and here comes the congregation standing up, all to look at the dress, all to look at the beauty of the bride, and you hear the music play. 
I mean, it's a different things you can pick these days. But here comes the bride, right? All dressed in white. Here she comes, the moment you have been waiting for. Well, when that happens, you know the marriage ceremony is on. You know the fact the bride didn't make her way out the back door. Uh, you know, you are actually ready to go. Uh, you have a bride in the building. We have a marriage ceremony. This is going to be awesome. Do you know how much, if that's that culmination, do you know how much, I'm sure you do if you've ever been through one, if you ever paid for one, do you know how much planning has gone in before that wedding march? I mean, just think about it. This is like a, what, how many seconds are they going to be walking down the aisle here, right? I mean, it's not going to be a very long time. Um, and this is it. Think about how much that dress costs, okay? Let's just go. All right, all right. Think about all the planning. I mean, it's like, it's like, by the way, did you see the launch this week uh, of the astronauts? That's a, that right there. There's, a, there's an ADHD move right there. I mean, it's amazing. Do you know that we could launch four astronauts into space and the booster could land on a boat somewhere in the middle of the water? That we got the technology? Can, I, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, we just sent four guys into space. They're going to go to some space station. We got a booster that's landing on a, on a ship here. And this guy named Elon Musk could think of all this stuff? This is crazy good stuff. And you start thinking of logistics. How much did it take for that to happen? Forget that. Let's go back to the, the, the uh, wedding ceremony, right? I mean, it seems like about the same amount of logistics of, of boosters landing in, a, in, in the ocean on a, than a bride coming down at the right time, the music being right, the pedals being right, everything being made. Do you know how much logistics have gone into that wedding it is incredible, right? I mean, there has been so much planning needed before that bride walks down the aisle. It really is like launching a rocket into space. A similar journey. <laughs> but Palm Sunday is much like that wedding march. Palm Sunday really is much like the bride finally coming down the aisle. Jesus, the son of David. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, the king, he's entering Jerusalem to save his people. And Jesus, in this triumphal entry, he's, he's going to come down from the Mount of Olives, and he's going to come down into Jerusalem. And really, that part of the journey is not that long. He's going to pass through the Kidron Valley. I mean, he's going to go down and then back up into Jerusalem. It's not a very long time to go. But you see, the journey didn't begin at the Mount of Olives. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus' triumphal entry. The journey began before time began. What? Really, before time began, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing that we would rebel, knowing that we needed to be rescued, there was a plan. There was a plan to rescue. So here you have the triumphal entry. And it really, the planning goes beyond a bride's planning. It's before time. And the time was finally at hand. Jesus has come. Hosanna is what they cried. You know what Hosanna means? Anybody know? Throw it out there. What does Hosanna mean? Save us. Isn't that amazing? That's what they cried. Save us. Save us, son of David. What does that mean? Well, it's connection to the greatest king that lived before Jesus. The promise of a king in the line of David. Save us, son of David. Save us. It said, Hosanna. Save us. In the heavens highest, save us. Oh, Jesus, come and save us. They would say this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, let me tell you, 
The emotions of a bride that experiences on her wedding day is quite revealing. I mean, all the things, when you talk to a bride on her wedding day, what do they say about some of these brides? Godzilla? <laughs> There's some emotions like that. You know, one of the things I love to do as well is try to get there, and I always want to pray with the bride beforehand. Because why? This is the greatest day of her life. She's dreamed of this day. It's finally here. All the logistics are all in place. And she usually is an emotional, I mean, just, you just want to pray peace over her. You want to play blessings over her. You want her to be able to enjoy the moment, right? And not just be lost in it. And not let her emotions carry her away in a direction that she'll regret. Am I hitting any chords with anybody here? But here's the reality. Jesus was filled as well with some emotions. Can you imagine? If this was the event, if this was the beginning of the end, if this was the beginning of the end, and this was the culmination of all the promises God had for us, think of his emotions. Think of what he would experience. Now listen, don't think for a minute he didn't know what was happening. And don't think for a minute that it wasn't all incredibly scripted, including the donkey he rode on. It was. But the beautiful thing about this is, is we see this story, and we see what Jesus has done. We get a glimpse into his mission, and we get a glimpse into his heart. Here's what we're going to find. He's gentle and lowly. Here's what we're going to find. He's bold and assertive. Here's what we're going to find. He's tender and compassionate. And here's what we're going to find. He's angry and volatile. Wow. All those things. Sounds like a bride. <laughs> Sometimes. Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 46 through 62. Let's look to God's word. Let's be mindful. This is God's holy and errant word. Hear the word of the Lord. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent uh, away uh, and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, hey, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that makes for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemy will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, 
and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, for you have made it a den of robbers. And he was daily teaching in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they didn't find anything that they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, there in the temple was your son after his triumphal entry. And there were those who wanted to kill him. There were those who were listening to him and worshiping him. But God, what was happening is they were hanging on his every word. Why? Because he is filled with grace and truth. He is the word of God in flesh. He is the greatest teacher who ever walked this earth. But God, he was so much more. He is your son. He is the only Messiah. He is the only way, truth, and life. God, would you come and join us? And would you give us ears to hear his teaching? Would you give us eyes to focus on Jesus? Would you turn our eyes upon him? God, would you give us minds that would understand this story and your word? Oh, God, would you give us hearts unlike those religious Pharisees who didn't have hearts for you? Would you give us hearts not of stone, but, God, give us hearts of flesh, of faith, to believe. God, come and be with us in such a powerful way that not only can we leave here singing Hosanna, but we can walk out of here in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say are wrong, that are merely my opinion, let those things just kind of fall away and be forgotten. But God, today, may the gospel be clear. And may you use the good news of the gospel to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. All right, the first thing you see in the story is gentle and lowly. I don't know if you heard the expression, but you don't want to show up for a gunfight with a knife. Don't show up for a gunfight with a knife. You're going to lose every time, right? So who shows up for a triumphal entry on a donkey? Who shows up to come and to, to begin a new kingdom gentle and lowly? Who came so meek, so lowly? Jesus came on a donkey. Uh, he came meek and lowly to fulfill scripture. But the reality is, it really tells us about what Jesus came to do. A donkey will reveal what kind of fight Jesus was picking, right? Now, watch this. If Jesus was coming to triumph over Rome, if he was coming to assert political power, if he was coming to drive out uh, those Romans, you don't come in on a donkey. You come in on a war horse, a big one, a bad one, an angry one. You come in and you kind of proclaim the reality. But when your fight is not against political Rome, watch this, when your fight is against sin and death, when your fight, your purpose is to seek and to save the lost, you come in on a donkey. You come in meek and lowly. When your mission is to seek and save the lost, when your mission is battling sin and death. Think about this. Political power people of authority, we have no access to them. 
they're high and holy. They're separated from us. There's, there's security guards around them. They keep us, the riffraff, far away. And so here you have the creator of the universe. Here you have the king of kings and the lord of lords. And yet he is the most accessible man to live. And why? Because he comes in gentle. Because he comes in lowly. Because this reveals his heart. He's gentle and lowly. Now listen, if he came to seek and to save sinners, does he not need to be accessible to sinners? Does he not need to be in a position where they could come right up to him? I mean, the reality of our Savior Jesus is that he did everything he did to make sure that he was accessible for the lost, for the lowly. This is the friend of sinners. This is the one who felt comfortable hanging out with the riffraff in society. This is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. And to do that, he had to come gently, meekly, lowly. What does this mean for you and me? Don't let the enemy ever tell you that there's a certain sin in your life that disqualifies you. Don't let anything ever tell you that you are not uh, worthy of being rescued by Jesus. Because why your worth is the fact is that you need to be rescued. I mean, that's the reality. The gentle and lowly one will in no way cast you out. He will in no way drive you out. Anyone who comes to Jesus, he embraces. This is amazing. That's why he comes in gentle and lowly. Meek, accessible, a savior for you and for me. But he did more than that. He came in on a donkey. Why? Because he fulfills all of scripture. It's the prophet Zechariah that's just a few books before the New Testament. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and having salvation is he. Isn't that good news? Here comes your king. He's righteous. He's going to bring salvation. And by the way, he's humbled and mounted on a donkey. He's going to be accessible on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Every step that Jesus took on the earth that he created was a step in fulfillment of what God had promised. He's fulfilling the law perfectly. He's fulfilling all that the Father had given him to do. He's fulfilling Scripture, and he is gentle and lowly. We have, uh, we have as a church, uh, gone through, uh, as our KC small groups, the book Gentle and Lowly. Uh, we have a Sunday morning that we've studied the book Gentle and Lowly and looked at this side of Jesus, this beautiful says, I'm going to tell you my heart. This is my heart of who I am. Um, no matter how you see him, I hope you see this Savior as gentle and lowly. But he's more. He's also bold and assertive. So here's what it says. The whole multitude of disciples, they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. I love they say why. For all the mighty works that they've seen, what had just recently ha happened, Lazarus was risen from the dead. I mean, he had done some of his most incredible works. Here they're seeing Jesus and all the amazing power and authority that he ha had. And they start praising him with a loud voice. And they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the religious people, that's Pharisees, in the crowd said to him, Teacher, did you catch it? What did, the, what did the disciples call him? King. What did the religious people call him? Teacher. Big difference there. I'm not calling you king. You're not the promised Messiah. You're just some rabbi, some rabbi from Nazareth. You're just a teacher. And because you don't have this authority, you should be rebuking your disciples. You should be telling them to be stopped worshiping you. 
Quit calling you the king. This is the religious crowd. And I love what he says. I tell you, if these were silent, he goes toe-to-toe with them. These were silent? These very stones are going to cry out. I'm the one who made the stones. I'm the one who made you. I am the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is bold and assertive. When you're, king, when you're the king who comes in the name of the Lord, you need to be bold and assertive. It's interesting, again, the Pharisees, the religious people, missed it. They cried out, Rabbi, not king. This, they would say, this is not the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Stop worshiping, stop praising, stop the ceremony. But Jesus is that king of kings. He came to bring peace to earth, from heaven to earth. And the reality of Scripture is this. All of creation groans and longs for his redemption. Incredible passage in Romans 8. It says that creation itself groans. It groans for the full redemption of what Christ is going to come with the new heavens and new earth. Have you ever heard creation groan? I mean, it's beautiful at times. Don't get me wrong. A sunset by the ocean, it's amazing. But you know that there's not one thing we've ever seen that hasn't been broken by sin. There's not one thing that hasn't been affected by the fall. The creation itself is groaning. The rocks are going to cry out. He says, by the way, that's going to come even to Jerusalem. Jesus came to bring peace, but they missed it. Creation will sing, sing out to Jesus. Not only do you have to be bold and assertive, you also need to be tender and compassionate. Luke 19, 41 and 42 says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, now here it is, remember, Before time began, Jerusalem was the place. He's going to make the sacrifice. He's finally there. He comes into the view. He sees the city. It's before him, and he begins to weep. I would too. But how he wept and what he said was amazing. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the thing that make for peace. But they are hidden from your eyes. You know what's amazing? He doesn't weep for himself. I think if I was heading into Jerusalem... And I knew, it was about ready, I knew about those nails that were about ready to pierce my hands and my feet, that crown of thorns. I knew about all the disciples going to scatter and leave me alone. I knew the reality of my father, his father is going to turn from him on the cross and absorb that wrath. I would be weeping for myself. I mean, I'd be so terrified. thinking I'm going to go in and everything's going to go wrong. I'm going to suffer and die. I mean, that's causing me to weep. But you know what Jesus wept for? Not himself. He wept for sinners. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. Never in Scripture does it say that he wept for himself. He weeps for others. And what's amazing is that he weeps for those who probably will never come to him. He weeps over lost sinners. When sin blinds the eyes from seeing the Prince of Peace, he weeps. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now watch this. Let's listen. Watch this. It's incredible. Here is the God of Peace. Here is, watch this, the Prince of Peace. Now there's one more thing. And here is the peace offering. Here's the peace offering. It's Jesus. Holy God, sinful man. How do you get united? You've got to have an offering. You've got to have a spotless Lamb of God. You need to have the blood of the Lamb. He is not only the God of peace and the Prince of Peace, he's the peace offering. And he's weeping over those who will probably never come, saying, you know what? The only peace you'll have, the Messiah is finally here, and you're missing it. And there's no one else coming. And what's going to happen to you? They're going to hem you in, and they're going to turn over all these stones. Judgment is coming. 
And it's not going to be pretty. And I weep over the fact that you are blind to see the truth. I love a Savior that sheds tears over those who probably will never proclaim him as Savior. What a merciful God. But do you know he does more for you and me? If you're his, if you love him as your Lord and Savior, he not only sheds tears, he sheds blood. I mean, he sheds blood to cover your sins and to make you his own. He truly is the Passover lamb. And then lastly, we see the emotions here is angry and volatile. In verse 45 and 46, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold. And the Gospel of John will say he drove them out with some whips. I mean, he got some things together. This wasn't just a flipped over tables. He's just not mildly irritated. He is genuinely ticked, angry and volatile. And he said, is it, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Interesting, one gospel will say my father's house, but this is truly Jesus' house. It's truly his father's house. You're angry and you're volatile when your father's house is defiled. And that's what happens. We've got to understand, what is the temple? The temple was the place where God and man met together. The, the temple was a place of worship. The temple was a place of sacrifice for sin. The temple was a place that God put his name. But they defiled it. And the one who is gentle and lowly, the one who is tender and compassionate, is the one who is angry and volatile. Angry when the place that God and man are to dwell together in harmony and peace is defiled. But the beautiful thing is, our hope isn't in a temple. Jesus, he's the true temple. Think about that. Amazingly, the cries of Hosanna will turn into crucify in just a matter of days. But it's, it's Jesus. Uh, he's the one where God and man meet together. He's the one, the place of the true sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the one where God's name is uniquely placed. He is the one. That is the true temple. We see in this story the Pharisees get it wrong. Jesus was more than a teacher. And never should we stop worshiping him. But the interesting thing is the crowds got it wrong too. Oh yeah, they were singing, Hosanna, save us. O son of David, save us. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Those voices within the week will yell, crucify. Why? Because they were longing to be saved from something different than Jesus offered. They wanted to be saved from their circumstances and from the Romans. But he came to save them from their sin and death and unite them to the Father. They got it wrong. Jesus came to save them from sin and death, not Rome. The gentle and lowly one, the tender and compassionate one, he would save them. And the way he would save them and me and you was on a Roman cross in an empty tomb. Do you have it right with Jesus? Do you have it right? Do you know who he truly is? The true king? Do you have it right of what he's come to do? To come and to give us life and life abundantly. Let's celebrate his triumphal entry. And we're going we're gonna to come back here on Thursday, a Monday Thursday, a very sacred night. Uh, as we're going to remember that, that night of his betrayal and his death. So come and join us uh, for Monday Thursday at 7 p.m. And then come celebrate the reality that he did save us. The tomb is empty on Easter Sunday. Uh, invite others to come and celebrate that reality. But make sure that you know who Jesus truly is and what he has truly done.
because we saw the religious people and even the crowd missed it. May we not miss the reality of what Christ has done for us. Amen? Let's pray. Now, Father God, we're so grateful for Jesus' triumphal entry. Oh, we're so grateful that the time had finally come. Lord, he had set his face toward Jerusalem. We looked way back in Luke chapter six at that, or chapter 9 at that turning point where that they proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ, and he knew, Jesus knew that, yes, this is what, the, what happens to the Christ. He must suffer and die. Why? For our sins. How bad is it for a holy God that you had to send your son to come rescue us? And Jesus, you were willing. You were willing to come. And I love to see your emotion. Not only is there great humility that you're gentle and lowly, but to see how tender and compassionate you are. Jesus, it amazes me that as Jerusalem came into focus, into your vision, you wept. That doesn't amaze me. What amazes me is that you didn't weep for yourself. You wept for sinners. And what's even more amazing is you did more than weep. That Jesus, you would shed your blood so that sinners can be forgiven and freed. You would take on our greatest enemy, death. You would endure the hell of the cross. You would absorb the Father's wrath so that we could taste the Father's blessing. Hosanna, save us, Jesus. Save us from the wrong view of who you are. Save us from the worshiping you in the wrong way. We don't want the rocks to cry out. We want to be living stones that sing your praises. Come be with us this week, we pray in a powerful way. In Christ's name, amen.